Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You are listening to the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This podcast was created for entrepreneurs who are seeking motivation, digital marketing tips, personal development resources, and a nice dose of comic relief. Now for your host, Jason Wright. What is going on, everybody? Jason Wright here with another episode of the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. We are up to episode number 139 somehow. Boy, the time is going by fast. And I don't think I mentioned this previously, but we just eclipsed the two-year mark on the podcast. So going by quick and with two to three shows a week now, their numbers are definitely adding up quickly. But anyway, uh, today we have a great guest. We've got Corey Poirier with us from ThatSpeakerGuy.com. We will jump into that conversation here in a few moments. But first, I want to talk about a topic that I feel very compelled to talk about today. And it's really about passion versus the pursuit of money. And I guess the two can, can blend, but I'm going to talk about the two separate lanes for today. So when I think back to my big failure in entrepreneurship about Two and a half years ago, you know, I was at a company uh, making 75 to 80 grand a year, salary with a little bonus, relatively stable, I guess, as stable as things are working for somebody else. And I left to pursue an opportunity starting these neighborhood magazines. And I liked the idea. I thought there was value, but I wasn't passionate about it. You know, what attracted me to the opportunity was the income potential. It's all about money. I had these visions of grandeur and all these crazy things I did, buying a luxury car and all this stuff, and uh, I was out of money and in trouble within about four months. Well, you fast forward about two and a half years to where I sit today. I work for myself full-time again, but I've built a business on passion versus pursuing money. So what's interesting is I figured out that I liked impacting other entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are Um, an awesome group of people, an awesome breed of people. I love working with them. And I I found my lane with digital marketing. So that's what we've been doing. And I I really, really enjoy digital marketing. I know some people hear that and cringe, but to be honest with you, I'm not one of them. So I've always been a fan of that idea. If you can find the crossroads of your passion and your skill set, that's where the magic happens. So this time around, my business is built on passion And lo and behold, if you focus on doing right by people and doing the right thing, doing what you say you're going to do, the money comes. So think about that. Gut check yourself and ask ask yourself if you're headed in the right direction. Are you pursuing the right things in your business? If not, if you're only pursuing money, when times get tough, there's a good chance you have a breaking point. I find, at least for me with the passion piece, I don't have a breaking point. I'm doing what I'm doing for a reason because I want to. You know, I don't do work that I don't want to do. If I start getting pulled in a direction that's not what we're doing, I uh, you know, cut it loose and go back to where I want to be. It's better for everybody that way. So think about that. Like I mentioned earlier, I've got a great guest today. Again, Corey Poirier. Um, awesome, awesome guest. Done a lot of great things with speaking and all kinds of good stuff. We'll jump into that now and check that out. What is happening, everybody? I've got another great guest with me this week. I've got Corey Poirier with me. Let me tell you what I know about Corey. He's an award-winning TEDx speaker. He's a published author. 
He's a host of a couple shows. The first is Conversations with Passion, a radio show, for the Love of Speaking show, and he's the founder of the speaking program as well. He's been featured on a ton of outlets. I'll tell you a few of them, CBS, CTV, NBC, ABC, and he's been on EO Fire with Johnny Lee Dumas twice. Corey, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much. I'm super stoked to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear this. Tell me about how you got started with the speaking and everything that you're doing today. So the speaking, you know, this this part of my life really, I guess it's really unique in terms of how I get started because, and I say that knowing that when I share it with people, I haven't run into one yet who said, oh, I started the exact same way. So I think it's pretty unique, but uh, how I get started in the speaking side of things, I was in a um, corporate sales career and enjoying a lot of success, but, and I actually, I even enjoyed it to some degree, but it just never felt like my own thing. And so what happened was I, I basically uh, was, I was going, I, I was going at, around the city uh, doing some writing and stage plays and just trying to get active in the arts community, but I was actually on the writing side. So the guy in the basement that's writing the screenplays and stuff like that, I uh, wrote this stage play, put it in a fringe fest. One of the actors about partway through said, I heard about this stand-up comedy workshop. How would you like to give it a go? And just to put things in perspective, I was terrified of the idea of speaking in public or being on a stage. So this wasn't one of those, oh, yeah, of course, I'm doing a stage play now. I'll do a com uh, comedy show. I actually had written the play so that I didn't have to have a part in it. And so all of a sudden, I'm now invited to tackle what people call the number one fear in the world, public speaking, and uh, and do it even on a higher level scale because you're in a stand-up environment where people are drinking and could heckle you at any given moment. And so basically I went through this two-week workshop. We were told, all we were really taught was how to adjust the mic stand. Week number three, we were told we were going to be entertained by other people. We show up and about five minutes of showtime, we discovered that we were in fact the entertainers with no notice, no material. Oh boy. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's as bad as it sounds, maybe a little worse. Cause I, I jumped on the stage cause I had been to two Toastmasters meeting and was kind of taught if you're going to do this, like speaking and stuff like that, go up first. So I jumped on the stage, grabbed the mic, told two jokes, no laughter at all, only to discover that the mic wasn't even turned on. And so I bombed horribly. Then we got the mic turned on. I delivered the same two jokes again, and they bombed again. So I don't know many comics that have bombed twice on the same jokes in the same night, but I was that guy. And so what happened was from there is basically I started learning about and hearing about this thing called professional speaking, which had all the things I liked about comedy, and few of the things I didn't. So I kept performing stand-up because I knew it was a good training ground and I enjoyed doing it, but I slowly but surely made the transition over to speaking. And, uh, you know, I'll say the rest is history. The, the rest is even longer than that part, but uh, the rest is, I guess, technically history because that's when my speaking career sort of started and mm. continued from there. Very nice. So when you were in sales, corporate sales, you never thought, hey, maybe speaking's my thing. It didn't really ever even get on your radar then, did it? No, I, I didn't even know there was, you know, such a thing, you know, what people would say, I'm going to be a professional speaker. I didn't even hear that term. I hadn't heard anybody ever say that. I didn't know it was an actual thing. And I certainly didn't know that you could get paid to do the thing I didn't know existed. All I had heard about was in school, you know, the, the teacher saying, we're going to get you better at speaking. We're going to, you know, we want you to speak this week on this topic that we give you. I mean, I only heard about it from the very abstract 
idea of speaking in public just as this thing that you should conquer. But I didn't even know why. And I didn't certainly, again, know there was such thing as a career in it. So it was all brand new to me. And it certainly was never planned. It was a happy accident. There you go. So, Corey, how long have you been speaking? Uh, It's been 16 years this year. And I say that uh, it's been full time since, let's see, 2006. So I guess that would make that 12 years. And I was part time for about four years before I kind of threw threw the towel in and said, let's go all in. Uh, and I say that those um, four first part-time years, that was basically me using my vacation days, my holidays, and every other day I could scrounge up while still working in my corporate sales role. So that's why it was part-time. I was kind of building up my roster of clients. And I will say it took longer to make the transition fully than I thought it would. I thought it was going to be much easier. It wasn't. So that's where the four years came in because I thought it would be a year or less. And I was enlightened. <laughs> you well, will. Oh yeah. It's interesting you say that because um full-time entrepreneur now, I actually just left my job about two weeks ago, but I did the same thing almost three years ago. And the plan I told my wife then I was in HR in uh, the corporate world and had done some sales and some stuff. But the plan I told my wife is we'll go from, 80,000 to zero, and we'll bounce back up within three months. And to this day, I have no idea where I came up with the timeline. Long story short, it didn't work out that way. And, you know, we almost lost everything we had, had to beg family to buy food and pay bills. It was not, not a good situation. But like what I tell a lot of people now is like that timeline's unknown. But I will tell you, it's always going to be longer than you think and than you want. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I sure do. And, and I do, I am grateful. Uh, you know, I'm not naive enough to, to think, oh, well, it just all worked out the way it was meant to. I am grateful for that corporate career I had because it certainly paid the bills and helped pay the bills whenever everything else, you know, when it, if I would have went full time at that point, I mean, I can't speak for what would have happened because I know that you, you know, it's possible you get this new burst and you find these new creative ways to survive. Uh, but I didn't have to worry about that. I could actually do it at my own pace. And I, I was able to stay four years before I went full time. Whereas if I didn't have that career, obviously it would have been immediate. I would have had to make some things happen quickly. I will say when I finally went full time, uh, there was never a time I'm going to knock on wood after that point that I had to actually, um, you know, go work uh, a part time or anything like that after that point. But I think it's because I gave myself full four full years before launching. Yep, that's smart. You know, get that income flowing instead of trying to create something from nothing under a, a tight timeline. You know. Absolutely. So you've been speaking a long time now. Do you still ever have the nervousness or the butterflies maybe prior to going on stage or anything like that? Just curious. Yeah, I always. And and I say always uh, very freely. Like it's it's not something that in my experience I'm sorry, I'll correct this. I won't say it's not it doesn't go away, but I'll say it doesn't easily go away. And I would say the vast majority of speakers that I know keep that and and it stays with them almost their whole life. Um, what I will say is, of course, it does vary depending on the style or type of talk or the event or the audience. So as a for instance, la- two weeks ago, I delivered my third TEDx talk. And, you know, it was like I was a brand new kid that had, didn't know anybody could speak. And, and it was like I was right back to that same nervous guy who changed colors of face and everything else all that stuff nobody could see on the outside was the only difference this time around but i was that same guy i reverted back and it was like i had never spoken like that's how nervous not just me everybody that was on the card that i talked to you could tell even the ones that weren't admitting it you could tell they were as nervous as they've ever been and some of them speak on a weekly basis so 
you know, I guess it's varying degrees of nervousness. Most talks, I just get the little butterfly in my stomach and, you know, it stays with me sometime, but it's also an adrenaline and I'm more excited to get out there than anything else. But the, in terms of TEDx talks, that's my third and all three of them. I was as nervous as any talk I've ever delivered in my life. Now, do you think that's just because of the pressure of, of just delivering top-notch speech or where do you, where do you think that comes from? I think there's, um, it's the pressure of delivering a top-notch speech, top-notch speech, because it's a TEDx talk. And what I mean by that is that, what for, and you know, it's hard to to pick the reason some of these things happen, but there's just so much prestige built around the idea of delivering a TEDx talk, and there still is. I mean, I just watched, uh, we're, we're just, oh, we're watching Modern Family, episode of Modern Family, uh, earlier today, actually, at lunchtime. My girlfriend and I usually take a break at lunch and, and watch a show together. So we're watching this episode, and and uh, they said, oh, we're so honored to have you was the, the young, uh, the oldest daughter's boyfriend was kind of, I guess he's just like a science genius. And they said, we're so honored to have a science and TEDx expert in our house for lunch today. You know, and this is on like a, this was just the latest episode on a top rated show. And they're saying, we're so honored to have a TEDx speaker in our house. Mm-hmm. And so, and they may, I don't know if they said TED or TEDx, because of course those can be interchangeable. But the point being is there's still that much prestige. And I thought, and a lot of people did as well, the more TEDx talks that would be sponsored and ran independently, it would lose some of its luster. And if anything, I think it's grown. So I think what happens is there's so much uh, built around a TEDx talk, like everybody saying, I can't believe you got one. I wish I could get one. And then, you know, you're there, you know, people are going to watch the video and, and going to tell you honestly what they feel. And, you know, I have comments between my below my other TEDx videos. And so I know those comments come with those type of videos. So there's so much more built around that than delivering, say, a, a talk, non-televised talk at a company's corporate annual retreat. And I think that's what it is. And plus, you know, it's going to be filmed and, you know, hey, you've signed away your rights in the sense that they can air it, even if there's mess ups. I mean, they wouldn't usually do that because it, it doesn't help them any, but they had the right to air it, even if you messed up horribly. And I think knowing all those kind of things and knowing that there's so much on the line in terms of people know you're doing one and now it's out in the open, that your mindset is just long lines of, if I mess up, everybody might know. Yep. Very interesting. Now, it's it's cool to hear you say that. I mean, you've been doing this a while. You still have those feelings, but yet you you still get up there, deliver, and you'll do it again, I'm sure, another time as well. Good stuff, man. Um, any specific points in your journey, and you kind of answered this, but I'm just curious to ask you this way, where you thought, oh boy, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't be doing this full time, like, you know, maybe something's come up that you weren't expecting that you maybe questioned if you, you know, had to give it up or something like that? You know, I'll tell you, it's weird. I had those moments for sure when I ran my first business, which was a business publication. So similar to Success Magazine, but a newspaper type style. And when I ran that, I started out underfunded. Now, this is even before I started my speaking career. Uh, But I started underfunded. I was full-time running my own business for the first time. And I had those questions a lot running that business because, you know, when you're you're not sure if you're going to be able to put food on the table and you're breaking even on the business, but that doesn't mean you're covering your own personal expenses through the business, you start to question, did I make the right decision? Am I foolish for doing this? Am I going to claim bankruptcy soon? Uh, Is the business you know, going to go belly up, uh, all those kind of things. I had lots of those questions with my first business. Going into speaking, only because I think I didn't go full-time right away, I didn't have as many of those questions. Uh, while I was doing it part-time, 
you know, I loved it so much. And because I, by that point, 10 years into a corporate sales career in the same industry, I was maybe a little jaded with my job during the day. It was what was probably giving me that extra luster or jump in my step during the days. So I certainly wasn't questioning it then because I was getting this extra income as a speaker and my normal income. Uh, I probably wasn't putting in the same passion that I was for my corporate career by that point. But that, you know, that was a totally separate thing. I was more questioning, should I still be doing it? Um, but when I, I'll tell you the one thing I did question, once I got full time as a speaker, within very short order, I'd realized I'd never closed the door properly on that newspaper I mentioned from years earlier. So I actually relaunched a similar publication and I ran it for about five-ish, maybe five and a half years monthly. And that was selling advertising, uh, writing stories and articles, doing interviews. When people hear how many interviews I've done, a lot of it's because of that publication because I was doing 80 to 100 a month. Um, so what I did question at the time is what should I be doing? Because what was happening is the speaking, I you know, I went full time at it. It was paying the bills. And then I foolishly said, okay, now I'm going to take the second thing on. And the two of them fought with each other a lot. And so I turned down bookings because I had a deadline coming up for the publication or I turned down the ability to grow the publication by four or eight pages with an issue because I had a speaking engagement. And so it wasn't necessarily questioning, should I stop doing the speaking or even should I stop doing the publication? It's just, why am I doing both of these? And should I more so say, okay, this is the one and get rid of this one. And I guess ultimately without, um, you know, it took a lot of years to decide this, but ultimately I did make that decision and continued on with the speaking. And I will say it was a hard decision so much so that at the same time, to add more complexity to this, I also, as I mentioned, was performing stand-up comedy. Well, I was still performing it at that time. I was even producing some of my own stand-up shows and bringing other comics in. And even further to compel it and compound it, I was actually uh, I, I'm a big music fan. I've been writing music for years. And I was, by that point, playing gigs, doing even mini tours in the summer, releasing CDs. And so all of a sudden, I'm doing all these things and so the question is, which ones are you really doing well? And so when I finally decided the paper had to go, I actually put my stand-up comedy career, I'll call it that. I was nine years, 700 shows, put that on hold. And the music, I just, this is the crazy part. My latest CD was nominated for Rock Recording of the Year. And I made the decision, like literally a few months after, worst time possible to make that decision, that it was going on hold too. Uh, so I didn't ever question, should I be doing speaking? And in fact, when I finally started asking the big questions, I put everything aside to do speaking. So I don't, that was a long answer, but that's kind of the, the real answer of that. No, that's good stuff. Cause there's some tough decisions there, but I love it because you know, the people listening, a lot of them are going to be in similar boats, crossroads, you know, do I go left? Do I go right? So very real, very good stuff, man. And well, you know, and I will say to this day, it's still, the hardest one probably out of all those to let go, I mean, the newspaper is sort of in my river mirror, for lack of a better way of saying it. Uh, I mean, I still have the issues. I, I haven't done it, but I can still, you know, take a picture with them and post that on the website and, and bring that, you know, the, the history of it back to life. I wouldn't bring the paper back to life. So it still exists in a, in a physical form. So I don't really have any kind of let's go back and do that. And not only that, the printed world, as we all know, is going in a different direction than it was. So that's one thing. Uh, the stand up, I miss it every time, uh, every now and then. But I'll come at a quote-unquote retirement to do, like, I had an opportunity to perform at Second City, which is a pretty prestigious club. And, you know, that's uh, it's a club where basically the likes of 
uh, Martin Short and Mike Myers, Jim Carrey, Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, they all kind of went through those grounds. And to get a chance to perform at their school, pretty big deal. So I took, did that, got a chance to perform at the Improv last year. So I do those kind of things, but that's the only performances I do now. But the one I missed the most out of the three is actually the music. And I think it's because it was my first of the three. It was my first love. And it's something I could be doing with speaking. I could even incorporate it in. But what I learned, because I tried to incorporate stand-up in a while back, is if people take you serious as a comic, and what I mean by that is if they see you as a, a comic, then they don't take you serious as a speaker. And I was worried the same thing would happen with playing music and bringing a guitar with me, is you would be seen as kind of the entertainer rather than the speaker. And I'm always scared that it's not just a credibility thing, but you lose your ability, I think, to transform people in the audience a little bit. And I wasn't willing to do that. So the hardest one out of the three, when you said tough decisions, the hardest one is still to this day, not picking up the guitar and and, and starting to go out and tour. And I could do that, of course, in the summer and I'm not in impact or conflict with each other. But right now I'm just, I have so many eggs in the air and balls in the air that I just can't imagine throwing the, the, the guitar up in the air as well. Yeah, something funny that I thought about. Can you imagine uh, Kevin Hart trying to give a speech and people take him seriously? It'd be tough. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's he's an exception because he could get, still get paid well, oh, yeah. uh, really well for the talk because they would look at it in a different way. But yeah, uh, picture him. So picture a comic like Kevin Hart trying to do that, but also not really a super well known comic. Yeah. And what's going to happen is he's going to get paid as the entertainer which usually gets paid less than the speaker unless they're a, a name like Kevin Hart. And at the same time, like I said, they, they actually, the audience, I don't think gets as much from a learning point of view as they would from a, a basically a strict, strictly speaker type situation. Sure. So it's really interesting. You bring up that newspaper. Uh, my first failed business venture was actually trying to start a neighborhood magazine. Oh, and wow. the way it worked was, you know, you could sell ads and you had to sell, I can't remember what it was, so many before it would even go to print so that the advertising revenue would cover that. So I sold a couple of $17,000 ads. The problem was it didn't sell enough to get the thing into print, so I never made a dime off of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, well, like I said, I've, I, I've been there. I mean, even if we made money off the publication, we still – it was still – both times. The first time around, it broke even. Second time around, it made money, quite a bit of money, like decent amount of money for a small publication. The problem was – the amount of speaking engagements it cost me from a revenue point of view meant that it was still losing money. Yep. It would have had to make so much more than it was that it, it would, you know, you'd have to have somebody else running it completely full time and not taking a salary and, and giving me back the revenue from it for it to really counter the speaking side. Absolutely. So I want to talk to you a little bit about passion and confidence and how those two things can impact our businesses and our lives. Yeah, happy to. Okay. So just, you know, thinking about the entrepreneur that um, that's listening right now that may struggle with one or both of those things, uh, let, let us know kind of your thoughts on that, how you think they could turn things around, getting more passionate, more confident. So I think the two, well, so I, I was going to say they go hand in hand in some way, but let, I'll, I'll back that up for a sec. So I think on the passion side, I mean, this is this is really where I spend a lot of my time, kind of my wheelhouse, if you will. In fact, the, the latest book that I put out is called The Book of Why and How. And the why part of it relates to passion. Now, whatever name you want to put on it, you know, your calling, passion, why, whatever you want to call it, that's what I'm referring to. So it's that thing you were called to do. And so I believe, first of all, it's absolutely crucial to figure out why you're here and what your purpose is. 
And at the same time, finding it is not always that easy. I'll even add in when I say find, I'm meaning uncover, because the truth is, I believe it's all, we all have our passion inside of us. It's not something we're making outside of ourselves. I think it's there. It's just some people it's buried so far, they don't see it as easily. And other people, it's closer to the surface. Uh, But what, you know, what I recommend, for example, in the book is I take people through an exercise and the shortest possible version of that exercise is basically getting a pen and a piece of paper out and asking yourself those questions like, what is it what I, I would do if money wasn't an issue? What did I do when I was a kid when, again, money was an issue, but I loved doing it? What is it that I used to do and then I let somebody talk me out of it, you know, because they said it wasn't practical? You know, for example, you want to go to, to college, I'll say clown college or, uh, you know, a humor college or entertainment college, and, and they let, you let them talk you into going to Stanford. You know, wh- what was the reason you wanted to go to clown college? It might not be because you wanted to be a clown. Maybe you want to be an entertainer. There's something there. Um, what is it that you would do if you won the lottery? And even after you say you'd never work again a day in your life, a month later you'd be bored and want to do something. So what is it that you would do? So I ask people to make that list. And once they've made that list, figure out which ones on those lists is deeper inside your comfort zone and which ones are outside your comfort zone. Tackle the ones that are inside your comfort zone first because you're going to be more apt to try them easier. Uh, And then what I I also tell people is figure out what are the steps you would have to do to get to that point of trying whatever that is. So let's use an example to make it less abstract. If you wanted to play guitar on stage, since I mentioned guitar, then what I'm suggesting is if you put guitar on your list as something you think you would do, you would love to do, you think you'd be good at, or you already do it and you don't watch the clock, then what I'm suggesting is figure out what are the steps you'd have to take to eventually play guitar on a stage. So maybe that means taking music lessons. Maybe that means talking to other musicians and saying, hey, you know, what, what did it take for you to get on the stage? Maybe it means reaching out to venues and seeing if they'll book you. Maybe it means recording a CD and, and even in your house and starting to pass that CD around. Uh, maybe it means getting on Facebook and asking people, hey, will you check out my song if I send you my SoundCloud page? And maybe setting up a SoundCloud page. So you can see all those are steps you could take toward playing music on stage if that was your potential passion And so I then recommend people start taking those mini steps, reward yourself for each of those mini steps so it keeps you wanting to do it. And then the ideal situation is by the time you've taken, say, five mini steps, that last step to actually do what you're planning to do won't seem so far. It won't seem so big. You've already given yourself rewards, so you're actually going to want to encourage yourself to keep doing it. And there's a more chance you'll actually take that step. So if you made that list, and let's say that one was your first on the list, and you go through it, that might be your passion. And... Uh, And by the way, put it in order so that way it's a better chance it's your passion. And then if it is your passion, then great, you found your passion. Maybe that took you three months rather than waiting your whole life. Uh, If something happens, you go that whole path and it turns out to be not your passion. Oh, well, you did something that you actually enjoy experimenting. And then you go to the second one on the list and you go through the same process. And my hope is and, and what I've experienced is that when people take those steps, they ultimately find their passion. Now, here's the flip side. I've heard statistics that say only 5% of people discover their passion in their full lifetime. So if most people don't discover their passion in their whole lifetime, and if the benefits are huge, then wouldn't it make sense to go through an exercise that maybe takes you a few months to find it? So that's the first part. That's the passion part. So any questions on that, or did I hopefully answer that? No, you answered that. I think you answered that really well. 
and hopefully I explained it well because I'm, I'm talking about something that usually I'll show somebody visually. Mm-hmm. So that that's what I would say as far as finding your passion and, and the benefits, which I mean, I, I've interviewed thousands of thought leaders and I could tell you the most common trait they have is they're living on purpose. So they've discovered that passion. And what I will tell you is the benefits I could spend two hours telling you them, you know, there's that many, but really there's things like uh, you end up having more energy, you'll get more done, you're sick less often, people want to be around you more. People are more excited to be near you. Uh, people want to tell other people about you. I mean, there's so many benefits to living on purpose and living with a passion that uh, that it blows my mind that more people don't try. I will say there's also kickback to the word passion now because people are saying, well, I'm sick of hearing people say find your passion or people stressing so much about finding it. Well, what I just shared with you as an exercise, to me, that there's <laughs> the one thing about that is there's no stress in that. If it takes you two years, you're still doing things you love along the way. So for me, finding your passion is crucial. Uh, so the secondary part I can answer a lot quicker, the, the confidence part of it, really my experience is, you know, for listeners, entrepreneurs who've heard of the 10,000 hour rule, uh, made, I guess we'll say famous by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I think it's before him, but he's kind of been the one who sort of brought it to the surface. That 10,000-hour rule, which basically says it takes 10,000 hours to master any craft, what I would suggest is if you want to become more confident at something, you need to practice it so much that it looks like you haven't practiced at all. And so what I mean by that, we had a comic on the show one time, and I asked him, what's the thing people don't know about stand-up comics? Uh, Do you think the average person? He said, how much work goes into it to make it look like no work at all went into it? You know, so you see a Jerry Seinfeld after 20 years of performing and you think, wow, he was just naturally born on the stage. But what you didn't see is the first two years. And I heard Jerry Seinfeld say this. The first two years, he went through show after show after show and he barely got 15 minutes of material that could work. It took him two years to get 15. And so we see him when he's already polished and think that's where it started. And it didn't. So if you want to become confident, I'll use this example, like Jerry Seinfeld seems on a stand up stage, you need to practice like Seinfeld did to get to the point where he delivered it so polished so that he could be comfortable with it and then confident. So my short answer with confidence is you need to whatever you're trying to become more confident at, you need to practice it so much that you know it so well that you can then destroy it and still be okay because you knew it enough. And so, you know, I'll give you the example. If it's speaking, the confident speakers that you see that are able to wing it on a stage, more often than not, they were able, they built it so strongly that then they could destroy it. So that's my metaphor for why I said destroy it. They could actually now, their talk was so polished and they knew it so well that now they can deviate and not have worry that if they go off script and if something happens, they can't get back on script. So they've learned it so well that they can go off script as much as they need to. So I feel comfortable and people are like, how do you wing it on stage? It's because I know the material so well that now I can wing it. If I didn't know it well and I tried to wing it, it would be a hot mess. That's <laughs> the best way I could say it. So <laughs> that's how you get confidence is you put in the hours. Gotcha. If you had to think of one thing, one aspect, one mistake that most entrepreneur, entrepreneurs make in their first three years of business, what do you think that would be? What's the biggest shortcoming that you see? So, you know what, I would say one of them I I kind of alluded to earlier, which is starting with uh, a lack of cash flow. And this is one that I really, I did it twice to myself. Uh, But that's the one I would say that for me tripped me up the most. I mean, I still, like I mentioned with the first newspaper I had, I mean, that was my first business ever. I was quite young and started with a lack of cash flow. And at the end of the day, when I finally walked away from that publication, thank I didn't I didn't file for bankruptcy, but I was very close. I didn't uh, owe anybody 
like in terms of advertisers any money, but I was very close. Uh, but I was certainly in debt from that publication. And I uh, and it was mostly because I started with lack of cash flow. I did it a second time again in my life and basically same sort of results. In both cases, probably because of my personality, my temperament, my uh, bullishness, uh, neither of the businesses failed in terms of what we might define as a failure. Like the first business I walked away from, I knew it wasn't going to be sustainable, but I probably could have made some shifts. The second one, I was able to sustain sustain through the lack of cash flow and keep the business going and then have the success. But it was still a big mistake. So first one I would say is not starting with enough cash flow, not being prepared for the what ifs. As you said about time wise, uh, however much time you think it's going to take, it's going to take longer. So however much money you think you're going to need to survive, add more to it. <laughs> so it's that's one I would say. Uh, second one is, and this has kind of been, I think this was made famous by Michael E. Gerber, uh, who wrote the E-Myth, revisited it. And he talked about too many people working in their business rather than on their business. So what does that mean in real world? Well, that would be, if you're not good at accounting, accounting and you don't love accounting and bookkeeping, it would be the bookkeeper or the, the business owner that spends four hours a day on accounting, even though they hate accounting and it's not their genius zone. So I think people working in their business, i.e. not working on their genius zone, rather than working on their business, which is what grows the business, what they love doing, is a big mistake. I think people need to spend more time working on the business. So that would be a second one. And then if I added a third one, I would say trying to replace um, time with money. So I see so many people that say, well, I'm just going to learn by doing this in the trenches. And I did it myself. So I'm not trying to knock a person or say, you know, we don't, you know, we don't all start there. But probably what I learned over the years, it, that's something I wish I would have done sooner and learned sooner, was it makes a heck of a lot more sense if somebody can tell you about all the manholes they fall, fell down. It makes a lot more sense to pay, in most cases, a small investment to learn where they fell and then not fall down the same manholes yourself because you're going to fall down enough of them on your own anyway. It makes a lot more sense to do that than to just keep plowing through, falling in the trenches, falling in the manholes, and, and trying to learn by doing. So if somebody can tell you the shortcut, what I'm suggesting is take the shortcut. And, and I've practiced this, and, and I'm preaching it, but I practiced it. You know, I've done 4,000-plus interviews, as I mentioned, and I've learned from those, quote-unquote, mentors from afar that I've interviewed so many things that if I would have known earlier, would have saved me so much time and money and headache. So I would say the third thing I see entrepreneurs do is early on say, I'm just going to put in the time uh, because it won't cost me anything. But the truth is it's going to cost you probably a lot more in the end. And so what I would say to an entrepreneur, because this is a big one, when you're starting out, you probably don't have the money to invest in all these ways of saving time, meaning to hire this high-level coach at you know $10,000 an hour and all that kind of crazy stuff. So what I'm suggesting is pick your battles. At least say, okay, these ones here, like, if, for example, if you don't like doing graphic design and you're horrible at it, then go to something like an Elance or a, a 99designs or Fiverr or one of these freelance options that you have. Go to something like that and, and put a project out, get people to bid on it, and get that graphic design work done for 50 bucks rather than you spending eight hours and putting out something that's not as good anyway. So I'd say pick the battles, but um, you're obviously not going to be able to basically throw money at everything when you're starting out. But there, you know, pick the battles and say which ones can I can I basically invest in a small amount, but it'll save me more in the end, so I can take that time and invest it in something that's a lot more wise. So that'd be my three. Okay, sounds great. Um, you know, all business owners are going to benefit from speaking, whether it's you know communicating about their product, their service, maybe it's doing a podcast like this. There's a lot of opportunities. Verbal communication is is key. 
If you could give us just one quick tip on how everybody listening can become a better speaker, what would that be? It's hard to give one. So I'll say if I had to if I had to pick just one, I would say find a way if you're not already now, find a way to become a better storyteller. So that could be reading. There's there's great books out on storytelling. You can watch videos on storytelling. I'm sure you could YouTube a video. You can watch a TEDx talk on storytelling or you can study the way that TEDxers or what did, I had a guest on the show called them Tedsters. Uh, so the Ted ter, Tedsters <laughs> tell, I don't know if that's an official name or if he just made that up. I think he made but, that uh, up. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I like it though. It, it, it works. Um, so watch Tedsters since I'll, I'll try to coin his name. Uh, but watch Tedsters on YouTube or on, on TED.com and see how do they craft stories? What is working? What what's Why is this story work and why does this story pull you in? Uh, so what I would say, if I could only pick one, is become a masterful storyteller, because here's a fact. People will remember story, telling, sharing the exact same message. People will remember a story many, many times more than they'll ever remember a fact and figure. And, and I heard this quote, and I don't even know who to credit it to, but to me, this sums up what I just said. It's basically that, uh, that facts and figures tell, but stories sell even if they're sharing the same message. So become good at storytelling and that'll carry you far, whether it's through Facebook lives, whether it's through an interview like this, whether it's through uh, speaking from the stage, but work with, you know, become good at storytelling. And by the way, storytelling doesn't always have to be like a have a hero, have a villain, which I recommend you do have in your signature stories um, or have three points or all that kind of stuff. It could be as simple as even me when you'll hear me share a quote. You know, like I just did, or my say my buddy uh, calls them Tedsters. You know, that's sort of a mini story. And you'll probably remember that term Tedsters or what I just said about storytelling more because I said that than if I told you how long his TED Talk was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Absolutely. So, that's, so that's, that's what I'm driving at with that. Awesome. Well, Corey, what's next for you? What do you got on the radar for the rest of 2018? Uh, so the rest of 2018, um, I got, so there's quite a few things sort of in the work. Works, but one of them is that. Uh, so I'll, I guess I'll go to both of them. So the new book I mentioned that we just put out, I have different ways that I'm planning to bring that to different. I'm going to just say different markets and different different audiences. So that's one thing. Um, the TEDx talk I mentioned that uh, that I just delivered, it, it's not even out yet. The video hasn't been released, so uh, I'm planning to try my best to put that out there in a really big way once it hits. So I plan to do a lot of media for that. But I think probably the the biggest thing that I sort of have in the works is I'm getting ready to release my first book surrounding the speaking business. And it's a very intentional thing. I I wanted the book to be filled filled with massive content that can change lives for people who want to get into speaking. But at the same time, I'm actually releasing it, which is kind of abnormal. I'm releasing it free at first on uh, Amazon. So I'm going to release it as a Kindle for free. And then I'm going to you know, add, I'm going to probably put it up to like 99 cents or 2.99, but it's going to stay at a low fee. And the idea is I'm trying to introduce people to myself through that book. But the other, the back end of that is that we have a speaking program. Uh, so we're on, I think we've opened the doors three times now in the last two years where I teach people the craft of speaking and how to, like I was saying earlier, not fall in all the trenches I had to fall in. And so I want to bring that to more and more people because I think as we talked about, the craft of speaking can transform your life. And so releasing that book is a big part of that because it obviously opens it up to another new audience. So opening the doors again to the speaking program, releasing a book that's related to that, and then, you know, not to add more to this whole puzzle because I already shared three or four things for the year, uh, but probably closer to the end of the year, 
I want to add a second program um, because my ultimate goal is to help people become influencers. One of those ways is from the stage, but I recognize that not everybody's going to conquer the fear of, and get on the stage, and not everybody wants to. Uh, so I'm also planning to release a How Do You Launch and Leverage Your Book program closer to the end of 2018. So I summed up a whole bunch of things there, Jason, but what I would say is the, the releasing the speaking book, reopening the doors to the speaking program, and then launching a writer program would be the biggest ones. Excellent. Sounds like you're staying busy. That's always a good thing. Yeah, it's I, like I said, I love what I do. And, and the one thing about that is it sounds chaotic and it sounds like there's so much, but the truth is if you look at my pattern, like releasing another book, I mean, that's been my pattern for a while. So it's not like I'm going and deviating and doing stuff that, you know, that's all brand new and doing 10 new things. It's really just building on what I've been doing. Absolutely. If somebody listening is inspired and would love to get in touch with you, Corey, what's the best way for them to do so? So there's a few different options. So if they want to learn more about that speaking program I mentioned, and again, I recognize that's not for everyone, but if, if it is you, uh, thespeakingprogram.com is the easy way. And when you go there and, and actually uh, join our tribe, uh, you'll get sent some free video training as well. Uh, so that's one way. And then I would say the hub besides that is thatspeakerguy.com. So thatspeakerguy.com. And on there, it has links to the new book I mentioned and my TEDx talks that a person can watch and all that kind of good stuff. Awesome. Well, Corey, I really appreciate your time and your expertise today. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Awesome. All right. We are back to the show. Corey, thank you for your time, my friend. I know you're listening. And uh, for my listeners, I told you he was a good guest. So fun times. Um, if you guys are interested in checking out the show notes for this episode, as always, you can go to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 139. Check those out there. Get all Corey's info and links. And then again, I want to ask you guys listening, going back to my story at the beginning of the show, are you headed in the right direction with your business? Are you pursuing your passion, what you truly enjoy, or are you just pursuing money? And it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't affect me one way or the other what your answer is, but at some point, it will matter to you. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate your ear as always. I will catch up to you again in a few days with another episode. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Intentionally Inspirational. You can keep up with all of our new episodes on CastBox, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We look forward to having you join us again next week for another great episode.